My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board certified construction attorney here in South Florida. And today we're going to talk about what form of release should you get or give when you get a check. And it's not what you think. And we're going to go over different variations of releases so that you understand why this is such an important topic. Um, and I'll give you some more stories of clients of ours um, that didn't do so well when they didn't pay attention to some of these rules. So let's get started. So on today's agenda, we're going to go over various releases um, and I'm going to show you specific forms and specific language in forms so you understand how they work. We're going to talk about the through date um, on the release and why that is absolutely critical for you to understand and get right. We'll talk about conditional releases, um, how to make a release conditioned on a check that you don't currently have or funds you don't currently have because you only have a check. And then I'm going to recap everything and I'm going to give you three super secret pro tips that you can use this afternoon um, or the next time you exchange a release for a check. So let's get started. Let's start by talking about the various types of releases. Um, so the first thing you need to understand when reviewing a release, knowing where you are in the construction process. Um, and the general rule is as follows. You want to give the narrowest release when you get a check and you want to give the broadest or get the broadest release when you give a check. So let me give you a very specific example. If I am a subcontractor on a project and I am getting a check from a general contractor, I would like to give that general contractor a release that it is, is as narrow as possible, meaning I am giving away the fewest amount of my rights for the least amount of time for the most amount of money. Now, the converse is also true. If I am a general contractor and I am giving a check to my subcontractor, I want that sub for the check that I'm giving him or her to release every and all rights they possibly have. Uh, claims, extended time and general conditions, delays, um, change orders. I want them to release absolutely everything through the latest date possible. So understand that dichotomy that's happening when checks and releases are exchanged. Now, know that as a sub, you are in both positions and as a GC too. So as a GC, you want to do the same thing with your owner, right? If I'm a general contractor with my owner, I'd like to give the fewest amount of rights away when I get my check from the owner. Um, and the same is true for a sub, right? If I'm a sub and I have sub subcontractors working for me, I'd like to make sure they give away the most amount of rights um, when they pick up their check. So don't think that if you're just a sub, um, you only have to worry about the releases you give to the GC. You should be worrying as well about the releases you're getting from your sub subcontractors. So let's take a look at what everyone considers the basic standard release, which is found in Chapter 713 of Florida Statutes. So this is a waiver and release on progress payment. You can find this right in the Florida Statutes, Chapter 713. And notice that it's very basic. It has a blank for the dollar amount that you're going to put in. 
Um, so if you're getting a $25,000 check, you'll put $25,000 there. And it has a through date. And we're going to talk more about through dates, but this is the date that that check represents you are paid in full through. So if you're getting a check for $25,000 and that pays you to the end of the month, then you'll put $25,000 in the blank for the dollar amount and you'll put the end of the month for the date. So um, let's take a look at the final payment release form. Now, again, this is the standard form that's found in Chapter 713. And you'll notice one big difference between the last form progress release and this form, the final release. And that is this form and the final release has a blank for the dollar amount, but it has no date. It has no through date. And the reason it has no through date is because it's effective on the day you sign it. So if I sign a release today that has no through date, um, then it's effective from today back. So that's why that's the main difference. Uh, and quite frankly, the only difference between a progress uh, payment release and a final payment release. Now know that you cannot release any rights under Florida law in advance. I cannot have you sign a release or a contract that, that includes a release today that releases your rights for work you have not yet done tomorrow. So if you sign a final release today and then two weeks from now you go back out on the job and do more work, you have more lien rights um, that you may be able to enforce. Uh, now let's take another look at, uh, let's take a look at this release form, right? Um, that's uh, on the screen. Now what's interesting about this form is that it is much uh, longer. It's got a lot more words on it. Uh, and the more words on a release should automatically indicate to you that there's more rights that are probably being given away. So let's break this release down into its component parts. So this release that I'm showing you has, uh, it doesn't have a dollar amount, it says $10. We're gonna talk about that in a minute, why that's important. This release also releases many things beyond just lien rights, which are the only rights that are released under a standard chapter 713 partial and final release. This release reads that it's releasing all of your lien rights as well as any claims, change orders, works, materials, delays, fees, costs, losses, expenses, damages, or sums for the labor services and materials furnished to the improvements. That is a broad form release, meaning you would be hard pressed if you sign a release like this to then come back later and say, well, I know I signed that release, but I have a claim for, a, for delays on the project. Well, this release specifically enumerates that one of the things you're releasing are any claims for delays. So be careful when you sign releases that have lots of these words in it, because you, you could be giving away lots of your rights. This release also has a through date. Um, uh, so oh, let's go back, I'm sorry. Um, notice that this release also on the bottom, the last two sentences include certain representations. We see this a lot in releases as well. So the last two sentences um, 
I guess technically three sentences read, the undersigned warrants and represents that it has paid all bills and sums due to any and all suppliers, persons, employees, agents, and contractors working under or through the undersigned through and including the date listed above, right? So this is saying when you sign this release, you are not only saying that you're releasing all of your rights, but you're affirming that everyone under you has been paid through the through date. Is that an accurate statement? Um, if it's not, you have to be careful if you sign this release. The un it goes on. The undersigned further warrants that all work and materials supplied by, through, or um, under it fully comply with all applicable contract documents. Um, again, that's a representation looking to tie you down in case there's a claim later that something wasn't built correctly. They can always come back and say, well, you violated the contract. And every month you were signing releases saying that everything was built correctly. So be careful about these um, additional statements in a release. They may be fine, but you just need to be aware of them. I told you I was going to talk about the $10 in the release. Um, so let's do it now. The release says $10 because the person that is giving you this release, that they want you to sign this, this form of release, does not want to have an argument later that they shorted your payment. So let me give you an example. Let's assume you're looking to collect $10,000 for this month's payment. And you get to the contractor's office or subcontractor's office and they give you a check for $8,000, not 10,000, 8,000. The through date on the release is still the end of the month, but the release doesn't say eight or $10,000, it just says $10. You decide to sign the release, you take the $8,000 check and you say, you know what, I'll just deal with this next month because when my accounting is gonna show that I was shorted $2,000. The problem that you have is that because this release says $10, a court is gonna interpret that to mean that you decided to take some amount of money to give away your rights. And a court is not gonna second guess whether or not you made the business decision to take 8,000 versus 10,000 to give away all of those rights um, through the through date. So be very careful about signing $10 releases, especially if the amount of money you're getting that month is less than what you agree to. Now there is a reason, there are two valid reasons why a release would say $10. One is that you sent a notice to owner and you haven't done any work during that period. A contractor and owner should be getting releases from you every month. Now if you haven't done any work and you're not getting a check that month, then how do you give a release? You're not going to put zero, they usually put $10. So if you sign a $10 release for a month where you are owed nothing, no problem. You should be fine doing that. The other time we see that folks want $10 releases is because contractors may not have explained or disclosed to the owner how much this project actually costs. So for example, the contractor signs a million dollar lump sum contract with an owner. Um, the contractor doesn't want the owner to start adding up all of the amounts in the releases to see, oh wait, he charged me a million, but it's only costing him 600,000. So contractors sometimes put $10 so that even though the amount of money you're getting that month is correct, they put $10 so that the owner can't 
stack up all the releases, do all the math, and, and realize what the project actually costs. Again, also a valid reason why someone wants $10, but just be aware and be very careful if the release um, doesn't, it says $10 and you're picking it up for an amount less than you expect. So how do you change the form of the release that a contractor hands you? Um, well, there's a couple of ways. First, you need to know that if you agree to a form of a release in your contract, whether it has a specific form of release, for example, it says you agree to sign all the releases attached as exhibit um, Q, R, and S to this contract, well, then those are the releases you have to sign. It also may say something like you agree to sign all uh, releases in a form acceptable to the general contractor. Then you may be bound to sign the form that, that he or she gives you. So what you need to do is you need to negotiate the form of the release as part of your contract negotiations. So when you're reviewing the contract for price, scope, and time, make sure that you're also reviewing it for legal terms and conditions like pay when paid, the ability to stop work if you haven't been paid, notice an opportunity to cure, and as I have here on the screen, a form of release that is acceptable to you every time you get paid so you're not giving up more rights than you should. So let's talk about the through date. You need to match the through date on the release with the dollars that you're getting. And the most important thing to recognize is that the through date is the effective date of the release and it will control over the payment amount. So if you're supposed to pick up $10,000, a $10,000 check that gets you to the end of the month for the work or materials that you provided to the project. And you get there and they say, no, we're only giving you $6,000. You have two choices. Option number one is you um, change the through date on your release. So if 10,000 got you to the end of the month, 6,000 may be the third of the month, maybe the 26th of the month, you have to figure out which it is and you then have to change the through date. Um, because the through date is what is going to control. If you sign a release with a through date that is the end of the month, even if you don't get all of your money, you will have least released your rights all the way through the end of the month. Um, the other option is to reject the release and say, I cannot sign this release with a through date that doesn't get me equal to the amount of money that I get. So either you change the through date, which is option one, or they have to give you more money. So instead of the 6,000, they have to give you the 10,000. So um, just be very careful and know that the through date is what governs, not the amount of money that you're collecting. Let's take a minute and talk about conditional releases, which are something you should be using on a regular basis. A conditional release is a release that is expressly conditioned upon the payment listed in the release for you to receive that in cleared funds. So here's a statement that you can write into the release. You can type it, you can handwrite it, it doesn't really matter. And it reads, notwithstanding anything to the contrary, this waiver and release is conditioned upon 
and not effective until the undersigned receives paid funds of blank, $10,000, $100,000, whatever it is that you are expecting to receive, that's what you put in the blank. Um, so what does that mean? That means if you sign a release that is conditional, then until you receive the money, the release is no good. So you need to watch out for releases that are titled conditional, but in fact are not conditional. We see that sometimes. So the title of the document of the release says conditional pro, uh, partial release. But when you read the document, it has no conditional language in it. If that happens, that release is not conditional. So be very careful. You cannot just rely on the title and think, oh, well, I have a conditional release. Um, also, the, release, the conditional release must be for an amount specifically um, that you're expecting in the form of a payment, either to be received or a check to clear, and it cannot be $10. So you cannot have a conditional release for $10. As a general contractor, you need to be very, very careful about accepting conditional releases from sub-subcontractors or suppliers to your subcontractors. Let me explain why. If I'm a general contractor and my electrician is um, owed $100,000 and I have a notice to owner from the electrician, and from the electrician supply house. I, as the GC, need to make sure that I get a release from the electrician and the supply house. Now, the time comes for me to cut the check for $100,000 and hand it over to the electrician. And when the electrician comes, he has his own release on a form that's fine, uh, that I accept. But now he's included in his package of releases his supply house release, but it's conditional. If I hand the $100,000 check to the electrician and the electrician never gives the release, sorry, never gives the money to the supply house, the, rele the conditional release that I have from the supply house is no good. And that supply house still has lien rights or claim rights against my bond. So if I'm a GC, I have to be very careful about accepting lower tier conditional releases because I'm not in control of that condition. If the, in my example, an electrician never pays the supply house, I'm going to be left holding the bag. So I have, as a GC, I have two choices. Option one is I can tell my, my electrician, sorry, I need a unconditional release from your supply house. Option two is I can tell the electrician, I am not going to pay you the 100000 because I cannot accept a conditional release from your supply house. But what I will do is I will issue a joint check to you and the supply house for the money that they're owed. Um, and then I will accept their conditional release because now I'm controlling the condition, which is I'm giving the money to the supply house directly. So uh, general contractors, be wary of, of, of those lower tier conditional releases. So let's recap. One, negotiate the form of the releases at the time you sign the contract. After you sign the contract, it becomes much harder to argue with someone about the forms of releases that um, they want you to sign.
understand if you are giving or getting a release. And again, in most instances, you will be doing both. You want to try to give the narrowest releases. Um, you want to try to give the narrow, give the narrowest releases um, when you're getting a check, and you want to get the broadest releases um, when you're writing the check. So, for example, if we go back and talk about those forms of releases, if I'm a subcontractor, what do I want to do? I want to give the general contractor the Chapter 713 statutory releases, right? That's the narrowest release I can give. But as to my sub-subcontractors, the people that I'm hiring and that I'm paying, I want them to sign that longer release um, because I know that they will be giving away more rights so I don't have to worry about them coming back later asking for more money. Make sure that the through date matches the money you receive, always knowing that the through date controls. And you always want to use conditional language if you're giving a release before you get a check. Um, and even when you do get a check, if you have any doubts that that check may not be good, that it may not clear. So let's go over these pro tips, um, some things that I see people make a mistake on. Having the original release is absolutely worthless. A copy of the release is valid according to its terms. We still see people these days saying, well, I'll send them a copy of my release, but I don't have to worry because I'm holding the one with the actual notary stamp and the blue ink that has the original signature. And I know that until they get that original, that I haven't given up any rights. That is completely false. If you give someone a release via a scan, an email, a fax, um, that release is valid according to whatever the terms are on the release. The fact that you have an original means nothing. Don't think that because you're holding the original that you have some additional rights um, until they get the original. Uh, so what do you need to do? You need to make sure that you use conditional language on all releases until you get the, um, the funds. A forged release is still valid if the person paying the funds did not know it was forged. I know this is hard to imagine. I'll give you a specific story. We represented a supply house um, who was over the course of about five months owed uh, about a million dollars from an, electric, uh, an electrician. And it turned out that um, once we the file was sent to our office, we sent letters to all of the owners and contractors saying, hey, we're going to put liens on your properties and make claims on your bonds unless you uh, pay us. And they all uniformly wrote back and said, what are you talking about? Here are the releases we have from you every month. And they sent copies of the releases that they had. And what, what happened is the electrician was forging releases, um, was taking a good release that we had issued early on, our client had issued early on in the project, cutting out the signature and notary block and changing the upper portion of the release um, to match it every month. So we weren't getting paid. The electrician was forging releases, sending those forged releases to the contractor and the owner and getting paid by the owner and the contractor. Now you would think, well, we as the, uh, as the electrical supply house, we didn't participate in this fraud. 
So as a result, we should still have our lien and bond rights. Unfortunately, there are two cases in the state of Florida that deal with this exact issue. And the answer is unequivocally that is between an owner or contractor who have no reason to know that the release is for uh, that the release is forged and the supply house in my example who did not participate in any forgery the owner and contractor win and the supply house loses so know that even if you don't have uh, even if you didn't participate in the fraud um, you could still lose your lien rights if your releases get forged and passed up the line. So what's what do you do to prevent this? You need to stay on top of your accounts receivable. If you can ensure that you know payments are not are being made timely every month, then you can minimize the risk because uh, the problem that our client had is they waited almost five months before they really started to move forward with their collection efforts. Um, had they done it sooner, they would have cut this issue off much earlier. Um, the last pro tip, if you have change orders or other claims um, that may not be fully matured or you don't know how much they're worth, but you know that, they, that, that you intend to make that claim later, you need to include an exception in your release. Here is sample language of an exception you can add to your releases every month to preserve those rights. It reads, Notwithstanding anything to the contrary, this waiver and release excludes, and it has a blank. So you could say, um, you know, PCO 11, 14, and 7, or um, you could say it excludes uh, delay claim set forth in our June 17th, uh, 2020 letter. So as long as you include some reference that, that that's what you're trying to preserve, then it will exclude it from the release. If you sign one of those broad form releases, which I'm telling you, most contractors will demand of you um, every month, you will release those rights and it will be very difficult, if not impossible to recover those, um, those rights later. So um, with that, uh, if you do think of any questions later, feel free to submit them uh, via email. My email address is alex at barthet.com. Again, this is Alex Barthet. Thank you for the time and have a wonderful day.